I'm more of a nerd than I, I probably usually let on. And yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe you can tell. Maybe it's more apparent than I like to think. Welcome to our very first official episode of the Working Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I am super excited to introduce our two guests who are both Enneagram type ones. First, we have Austin Fisher, who is one of the lead pastors here at the Vista Community Church in Temple, Texas. Welcome to the show, Austin. Thanks for having me, Kelsey. Pleasure to be here. Our second guest is Melinda Kirkpatrick, who currently works in the home and has for several years now. And I'll say I'm particularly excited to hear how the Enneagram plays out in both a ministry setting and in a working at home setting. So I think this conversation will be really good. And I'm excited to have you, Melinda. Thank you for joining. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Austin, I'm going to turn it over to you. And I want to know, how long have you worked at the Vista and, uh, and what do you like most about your job right now in this mm. season? I've been at Vista for nine years wow. and eight months. So coming up on a 10-year anniversary, which is unbelievable. That's huge. Um, I've loved it. What I love most about my role is, I mean, I love ideas. I'm more of a nerd than I, I probably usually let on. And yeah, I don't know about that. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe you can tell. Maybe it's more apparent than I like to think. But being a pastor for me is one of those places in the world where you get one of the clearest intersections between like idealism and ideas and concepts, mm -hmm. but also just like real life change or like thereof. And do these mm -hmm. ideas work and do they make a difference in the world? And so, um, I mean, when I was trying to decide what to do, I loved the philosophy and the theology, but I also thought good ideas should like really make a difference. And being a pastor is uniquely, um, kind of a situation where you, you figure out if ideas actually make a difference in the world. And so that's what I love. Were you always a lead pastor at Vista? No, I was, I did everything for the first <laughs> five years. So college and small groups and some teaching and I mean, mission stuff, like you, you name it, did that for about five years. And you just learn how to get stuff done when you're working on a really lean staff early yeah. on. And so it was fun. It, it this is jumping ahead, but like a lot of the perfectionist tendencies I have, mm -hmm. um, when you're in a role where you just have a lot to do, you just don't have the luxury of being a perfectionist. And so you mm -hmm. figure out how to get stuff done yeah. instead of procrastinating, which was a really healthy growth opportunity for me early That's on. Very well said. Awesome. Very well said. Did you always know that you wanted to be a pastor? Like, were you one of those kids that was like, I'm going to grow up and be in the church and no, affect all these people? No. <laughs> okay, tell all me my, about that. All my... <laughs> friends from yeah middle school <laughs> and probably well into high school they're very surprised that I'm a pastor um <laughs> I I thought I'd be a lawyer I was a very argumentative child um and so my my parents told me that it'd be good to be well compensated <laughs> for my that. efforts yes. and so I went to school thinking I'd, I'd be a lawyer on that note I think it's interesting that your parents mentioned the path of becoming a lawyer because I've also gotten that feedback as well and for those of you listening I'm a type one also <laughs> so this is three type ones in the same room which We're is really sorry. special yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm interested now uh, Melinda have you gotten that ever gotten that feedback too of like man you should be a lawyer no nope. never okay ever 
okay, maybe <laughs> that we're just super argumentative. Then. I know. <laughs> Not unrelated. <laughs> yes. What do you like most about working from home and how long have you been doing that? Yes, my daughter, I have three kiddos. My daughter is going to be 10 this month. And so um, for the last 10 years, I have stayed home. And um, man, that is a loaded question. What do I love most? Because my initial response is peaceful and harmonious days are my favorite. Yes. But that doesn't have a lot to do with pouring into my kids and all the stuff that comes with it. Um, but I think um, for me, just having the opportunity to get to stay home with my babies and raise them um, and just being able to put all of my energy into them, whether it's creating magical moments that I wouldn't be able to do um, had I been working or um, just, gosh, um, I get tearful because this season my baby is off to kindergarten and so um, now staying home um, looks a little bit different but just I'm so grateful for the time. How do you know that you're a type one? So like besides taking an assessment that tells you who you are which assessments cannot by the way I won't get on my (laughs) rant on that but how do you know? The thing I have appreciated most about the perspective that the Enneagram takes on personalities is um helping you understand your motivations. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a one, I think it's pretty typical for ones to go like, okay, when you're first looking at it, I'm either like, I could be a three, I could be an eight, Mm -hmm. I could be a one. And for me, when I got down to motivations, that's where it became clear that, this is a smart alecky comment, but it's helpful for me to distinguish (laughs) between one, threes and eights. Threes want you to think they're right. Eights think they're right. Mm Ones are usually right. Amen. <laughs> what, what I mean by that is, that. well, you know, like for threes, they, they just have a, a really deep desire for the affirmation of others. And we all desire the affirmation Absolutely. of others. But for threes, it's a deeper motivation. Right. Eights, bless their hearts. And so many of my best friends are eights. I love eights. But they just have this irrational confidence in themselves. <laughs> and then ones, you just, on, and again, all those, I can be all those things. But Getting it right to me is more important than what others think of me yep. or um, me needing to think like I'm, I'm right. Like I really, I have this little internal critic who goes, mm-hmm. is, it, is it right? Like have you been honest with yourself? Mm-hmm. Is this thing really right? And so that was what was really clarifying for me was just the motivations. Like at the end of the day, getting it right means more to me than those other things. Well, then how about for you? How do you know that you're a one? Yeah, it took me a while to realize that I was a one. Um, for the longest time, I thought I was a two. And I loved being a two. Yes. Like, I just loved it. And when I started really... Everybody loves twos. Yes. Right. I mean, yes. they're just so awesome. Um, but when we started studying um, The Road Back to You and kind of getting more into the Enneagram, I did not connect at all to the motivations because I don't... I don't I love people deeply and I love community and I love Mm -hmm. relationships, but it's, I don't really mind if you don't like me or I don't mind if, yeah, I just, that's, that's just not the motivation. I did not click there. And it was when I read the ones and I started crying that I was just pointing out all of these flaws in me that I was like, oh, that's it. Because apparently you don't like the number that you are um, at the beginning. And so, or at least for me, that's what it just kind of revealed um, so many things that I wasn't even necessarily aware of, but I can guarantee you my husband was aware of yes. and my closest family, my mom was aware of, you know, and as a one, you can't 
approach a one and say, you know, you're doing this and it bothers me or you'll get your head cut off. Yeah. And so um, thankfully I'm married to a very um, grace-filled man who gently has helped me in this self-discovery of being a one and, and learning the positive things about being a one. Um, because I do feel like I am not your typical one as far as you don't walk into my house and it is not immaculate. No. Oh yeah. my gosh. I think I was telling you when yep. you asked, it was like my kitchen sink, that to me, if I can keep my kitchen sink clean, that's where I go for peace because the rest of my house is just a circus. And I can't, I mean, for me, if I clean a window and my five-year-old goes and spits twice at it, you know, I feel <laughs> assaulted. Yes. You know, I mean, it's yes. just this assault on my work. So there's only so much don't. even a one can do. You know, yes. Three toddlers. Yeah. yes, absolutely. So um, I've just kind of given up cleaning and trying to keep the house in order. But if I can keep my kitchen sink, that's, I'm having a good day. The Core motivation. I think y'all both kind of narrowed it down to these motivations. And for the one, that's this desire to be good. But it's it's deeper than that to like have integrity, be above reproach. Austin, how would you explain this core desire for a one to somebody who's maybe never heard of the Enneagram? Hmm. For a one, at our core, and again, you hopefully learn to be healthier about it over the years and life humbles you, but you just walk around with these like moral absolutes um, that you feel accountable to. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing in the world to you, and again, you're not trying to do this. These are just your natural reflexes. Your natural reflexes are things are supposed to be a certain way. Like there are these moral absolutes about parenting, pastoring, being a friend, being a spouse, you name it. And, I have a profound moral obligation to live up to these beliefs. And so having integrity in your beliefs, like for me, has always been something that just can be really tyrannical over me because if I feel like I'm, I'm not living a life congruent with what I've said I believed, mm-hmm. I, I feel like a fraud and it's hard for me to live with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and again, I know everybody everybody's living by some code. I think uniquely for once though, you really feel like this code is absolute and it's not under your control and you better submit to it and live up to it mm-hmm. or else sure others will, will see it, but you're even more worried about yourself and, and you thinking I'm a fraud. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but you really, it's hard for you to live with knowing you haven't lived up to your values and it could be very paralyzing. Yeah, I think we have watched you from a congregation standpoint live that out and be completely vulnerable about it when you were wrestling with um, a, a both a beautiful and a terrible world where beautiful things can happen, but earthquakes can also take people's lives mm-hmm. in, in a matter of an instant. And watching you wrestle with your faith, and, and I'll never forget this, there was one sermon you stood up and you said... Um, I really considered stepping down as a pastor because I think one of the credentials is believing that God exists. It's helpful <laughs> as a pastor. Accountants <laughs> need to be able to count. Pastors should probably believe in, in God. Should probably, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I think that's a very raw example mm-hmm. of, uh, of the dilemma that you're explaining. Of mm-hmm. If I don't believe in God, there's no way I could be a pastor here. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, think there's a lot of maturity in the uh, people that you sought counsel in and the grace that you gave yourself, that's really hard for once, mm-hmm. I think, 
to to wrestle through that yeah. season. Yeah, so. oh, it is, and, and a lot of it too is, have you been surrounded by by people who understand what's going on inside your head? I mean, mm-hmm. and it's crazy, but it's just all day, every day going on inside your head. And Allison, that's where she's just been so great for me. Like Allison, she doesn't put up with any BS from me, but she is genuinely like my biggest fan and she loves me and she respects me. And that just goes a really long way for once when the person who knows you the best Mm -hmm. still believes you're a good person. You know, there's just something about like, okay, well, if she believes it, there's probably some measure of truth. And so I'll trust that she knows. Yes, Mm -hmm. I love that. Melinda, how about you? How do you know good ways to help people understand what is going on in the mind of the type one? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think for me, I just, um, there, there's a very, very strong conviction to, um, to be honest and to have integrity. And, um, you know, I, before studying the Enneagram, I would tell my kids the most important thing that you could possibly have in your character is integrity is Mm -hmm. to choose right and to do good even when no one is watching and when we started learning this and I started learning that other people didn't think that was the most important it blew my mind that's one of those examples where it it truly did not cross my mind that there could be anything other than that that's most important because to me if you can live within that everything else falls into place Mm -hmm. you know if you can choose good, if you follow your convictions, if you stick to who you are, if you aren't influenced by all of these other things, but just stay true to what you know is right and good, everything else will fall into place. And so, you know, when I started hearing, oh, but, you know, but achievement and success and all these other things, I'm like, oh, and that's where my husband has been so good at, you know, you're not wrong, but neither are they. Mm -hmm. Differences and again, that's hard for a one. Yes. Um, but that's where I feel like I've I've honed in a lot to my nine wing, which has helped me so much um, have tolerance and compassion for different opinions, for different perspectives. Yes. And it doesn't mean that their perspective is wrong. I saw I saw it as a number six. It was just a number six written on a piece of paper, and there were two people standing on one end of the six and the other end of the six. And one person sees a six, the other person sees a nine. Yes. And it's not wrong. Neither one of them are wrong. It's just different. And I remember looking at that. It was such a simple little illustration, but going, man, you have to have grace. It is so hard as a one to have grace for other opinions that are not mutually shared. Right. And um, I think that has where, or has just been, especially for me, where God has just helped me understand to love other people doesn't mean we've got to agree with, doesn't mean we've got to say, yes, anything goes. But for me, I think to love my neighbor is to understand my neighbor. And my oneness kept me, I think, from even tolerating that understanding. Mm -hmm. That is very well said. Yes, yes. And I think it's necessary and a perfect example of how the Enneagram gives us insights to our blind spots we just yes. wouldn't otherwise know absolutely so oh the absolutely. core fear then is I mean ultimately just the opposite of the desire so if the desire is to be good the core fear then we would deduce is being bad I even would say um, wrestling with the fact that we have sin that we have to deal with sin that's mm-hmm. hard for ones 
um, who are idealists dreaming of this perfect world, this Garden of Eden from where we once came from um, and where we long to be. Mm -hmm. So Austin, for you, how does your core fear play out in a work setting and, and how do you manage that or recognize it? plays itself out in, in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things I realized about myself probably a couple of years ago when I transitioned into a, a role with just more leadership was when I'm making a decision like by myself, for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty decisive. Like I know what I think is right and I'll go with it. But when you start having to manage a team and a larger team and, you know, to your point, it's not just about being right but it's about holding the team together you mm -hmm. know and sometimes those things don't sync up sure. perfectly mm -hmm. um one of the the struggles can be with procrastination because i get so caught up in like i have to make the perfect decision on this thing yes. and there aren't just two decisions you know there are like 30 different mm -hmm. variations of what this decision mm -hmm. could be because that's just the way my brain automatically works um it could it can lead sometimes to me dragging my feet on decisions to try to get it perfect mm -hmm. um when a lot of times there are things where like it being good is good enough yeah. and it's so hard for me um mm -hmm. but once you start leading on more scale you just you have to do that or you'll burn yourself out mm -hmm. and you will you will really cause a lot of stagnation in your your organization because mm -hmm. everything's kind of caught with you mm -hmm. making sure your decision's perfect yep. um and then of course also wow. with that you can be utterly insufferable to work with because you're so <laughs> critical <laughs> yes. and what's funny is i mean i most people on our staff i mean they know i'm critical but they don't know that it's actually so much worse than they think <laughs> like and and again, it's, you know, it means but you just walk into a room and you just notice huh? all yes. the things that are wrong about the room. You yes. sit through a, a worship service or a sermon and you just notice all these things that could have been better. And the things that are good, it's like, well, those were good. But I mean, that's just the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. so you don't get a pat on the back for doing what you're supposed yeah. to do. And so I, I really have had to go out of my way to make sure I am relentlessly encouraging mm -hmm. to staffers because naturally... And, and I think I'm doing it for their good, but naturally my feedback would be much more critical because mm -hmm. that's what jumps out to me. Right, right. And to our defense, if I can, come please, to the defense of the one. Absolutely. We are intentionally softer in the feedback that we give to other people than the inner critic is to us. We are intentional. So we think we're doing oh, a yes. good thing here. Oh, gosh, like, yeah. You, you're so welcome for being so nice <laughs> oh, that's to you. A constant <laughs> fight between Allison and I will be either... Something I'll say to her or she'll hear me say to someone else. And she's like, you were, that was really rude. And I'm like, oh, are you, that was the gentlest way I could have possibly yes. said that to that person. If you'd only heard the four rough drafts yes. that I threw away. So here's something that I've never actually asked another Enneagram type one, but I remember listening to a podcast and the type one said, it took me a long time to, to realize that my inner critic was not the Holy Spirit. Mm, and that wow. like, blew my mind. I remember thinking like, what? I, this whole time I've been leaning in thinking like, yes, that's the Holy Spirit wow. nudging me. So um, did y'all, one, did y'all know that there's a difference between the inner critic and the Holy Spirit? And uh, if you did, how did you come to that realization? Going along with that, um, you know, being a stay-at-home mom, my coworkers are my kiddos. Um, even though I am 
I, I, I'm not organized, don't have this super clean house. I still desire that. There is still peace when things are in order and clean and tidy. And my daughter, she is one of the most phenomenal little girls. But oh my gosh, she is, she's like a snail that just leaves this trail of stuff all through our house, her room, everything. It's just chaos. And I walk into her room and I, I just, I get, I'm in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of times, this is where I, the tears will come, but a lot of times at night I'll come in and I'm like, oh my gosh, Hattie, it's just, how do you live like this? Like, there's just stuff all over the bed and all over and, you know, she'll pick it up and then it just, all of a sudden just, there's just more mess that comes. And, um, you know, there's one night where I was like, I, I can't, I can't tuck you in anymore if your room is like this because I don't like walking in here and just being in such a bad mood. And I felt after, you know, throwing my little fit and doing whatever, when I was able to go and just have just a peaceful moment to myself, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, man, can you imagine if I looked at you and all I saw was your mess Mm -hmm. and I didn't see you? And I mean, it just broke me Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, that is a huge, that is my problem. Yes, I want to teach my kids responsibility. Yes, I want them to be able to pick up after themselves. But it was just this, I refuse to have a daughter grow up remembering her mom walking in her room and all she saw was her mess. Mm -hmm. And so to answer that, I feel like it was in that moment that I realized Oh, the Holy Spirit is a lot more <laughs> gentle yes. and graceful and um, so, so grateful that we have him to help um, break us of our oneness sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I have a lot of and have always had a lot of really good people around me who I just, I trust them and I trust their opinion. And there have been a few different times in my life where, you know, somebody had to, these group of people who mentor me or the elders at our church, whatever it is, they have to give me some, you know, tough feedback on something and I know it's coming, you know, and I'm preparing myself for, oh man, this is going to be brutal. And I go in and it's just, it's honest, but it's not near as big a deal as I I thought it was. And it's actually, you know, 80% of the conversation is, hey, we we want you to know that we see these things in you and, and it's great and it's a blessing. Here are a couple things that we want you to work on a little bit and always walk away. And I'm like, oh, that that really wasn't that bad. I survived. And these are the people who like know me and are responsible for me. And so if they if they see it like this, my wife's another example, then maybe this little voice, you know, in my head that I've assumed is God or the spirit or you know, whatever, universe force. Um spirit for us Christians. Um there's a chance that like there's another way to see this, and I have been too hard on myself because I trust the cumulative perspective of these people more than I even trust myself. That's one mm-hmm. thing scripture teaches me to do is not trust myself too much. And so that's what it was for me is seeing these people who I really do respect and who know me and love me and mentor me continually like tell me the truth, but they were always much more gracious with me and helped me see these, these good things that sometimes your greatest strengths are your greatest weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And there's no way around it. They're two sides of the same coin. It is what it is. Right. We want to affirm the good things that come with this and then ask you, though, to, to watch and work on these other things. That just clicked on for me that, like, oh, there's there's more to this perspective than literally the most critical angle possible, which is what my inner critic usually 
takes. Yes. Yeah, I remember being surprised to find out that other people were not as hard on me yeah. as I was on myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's such good advice. Surround yourself with people who know you well and love mm-hmm. you well. Mm-hmm. And you will get that gentle perspective of love and grace. Mm-hmm. So good. So many ones are just so driven from this place of I want to make the world a better place and the life that I want to live I want it to matter I want it to count sometimes we can burn ourselves out responding to either the inner critic or the teams of people that we manage chasing our kids whatever it is and so we sometimes tend to believe we have to do and do and do and do in order to have worth what do you do in moments where you feel like you are out of whack on your identity um, and you're striving to perform or you're striving to perfect in unhealthy ways? So when it comes to specific like habits, one of the things that, that I start every morning with is confession, but confession not just of, of sin, mm-hmm. but our confession of sin you know, properly in most all Christian liturgical traditions, and there's a reason for it. You, you start out with a confession of your belovedness is the way I just mm-hmm. like to say it. And so in the classic Christian confession of sin, the first line is almighty and most merciful father, right? And so you've already set yourself up there to like, I'm going to confess my sins. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to happen. But who am I? Who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm talking to my almighty and most merciful father who knows me, made me. There's nothing I could do to make God love me more. There's nothing I could do to make God love me less. And so like grounding yourself each day in that is the most formative thing I think you can do to remind yourself that there's this enormous list of things that you could do to make the world a better place, but like it, it won't change God's perspective on you, right? And that's the good news of the gospel. It can be harder to receive than we would like to think. Um, but then with that too, so there's that. And then, you know, like have you ever had a day where you, you had a long to-do list? Yes. And you got it all done. Yes. And nothing happened. Yep. Nobody threw you a parade, the world was still broken, your marriage still needed fixing, your kids weren't perfect. And so you just, hopefully, uh, if, if you move towards a place of health, you, you get to this place where you realize that there's just, there's always stuff to be done. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much more to be done than you thought there was. Mm-hmm. And you either make your peace with that, and you go, you know what, I will shoulder and be responsible for what is mine today. But I'm not going to try to squeeze any more out of today than I can. I'm going to know that I will, I will die, and my life will have been a very incomplete project that hopefully somebody else picks up and, and runs with. You know, like I don't get to write the whole story. I get like a line, you know, <laughs> that hopefully is a good line yeah. and sets, let's say, my, my children up to write an even better line than the one I could write and on down the line. But sooner or later, you just you make your peace with there is no finishing the project. You will die with it unfinished. And so just be faithful with what was yours today, this week, this year, whatever, and release the rest of it or else you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you summed it up really well. Um, I have a feeling of defeat a whole lot at the end of the day um, as just a parent. And, ha- you know, have I, how have I failed them? How have I ruined them? What are they going to grow up to be? You know, and just I think for me, I mean, you said confession um, I love that. I love just approaching and recognizing who, confessing who God is first before we even go into all of our things. Um, and I had even written in my notes how important it is 
for me that my kids hear me confess Mm -hmm. when I have made a mistake or when I have done wrong. Because I do think that I talk to my kids a lot about we, we are not meant to be perfect. We are not supposed to be perfect. That would have, Jesus would have never come if that is what we were supposed to be. He died because we are not perfect. Mm -hmm. We are perfect in him. Mm -hmm. I say that a lot. I believe that, but I wonder how much my kids truly see me live that out because they see the pressure that I put on them, not intentionally, but it is just, oh, you know, just because faults do assault me. And so yes. if we're cooking in the kitchen, if we're doing something, you know, simple things, it's like, oh, okay, you just the grace, trying to extend the grace, but still inside cringing at any little thing that doesn't go the way that I think it should go. And so meaning going back to the confession, I think it's so important that my kids know I try so hard to keep it together. I try so hard to, that, that they, think that I know what I'm doing or I know that I'm right. But I think it's so important too, that my kids see me recognize that I'm not perfect Mm -hmm. and that I am broken and that I need a savior and that I need forgiveness for all of the areas where I fall short every day. And so, um, I think just resisting that, um, the, the lie that I have failed and the lie that I have been defeated. Um, but also just, um, for me, just acknowledging, my imperfections and, and embracing that as hard as it is as mm-hmm. a one mm-hmm. um, and recognizing that and for my kids to see me recognizing that as well. This was so good, so much goodness in these conversations. And so Austin, thank you for joining. Melinda, thank y'all so much. Thank you for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this conversation with Enneagram Type 1's Austin Fisher and Melinda Kirkpatrick. Don't tune out just yet because I have a special freebie I'd like to share with you. You may remember from earlier in our conversation how Austin mentioned he had some trouble discerning the Type 1 from the Type 3 and the Type 8. Melinda even mentioned she thought she might have been a Type 2 for quite some time before realizing she was actually a Type 1. And sometimes we can get stuck wondering if we have typed ourselves correctly. If you find yourself questioning, if you are really a type one, then I have the perfect guide for you. Click the mistype guide link in the show notes to get instant access to a free PDF that will walk you through the differences between the type one and all other types. The best part is that you can read this guide in less than five minutes. So if you're on the fence about being a type one and you do not have all this time to do a bunch of research, then this guide is perfect for you. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you do me a favor and share it with someone who you think might benefit from hearing it too? Maybe you know a type one who needs to hear how loving other people doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to agree. Or maybe you know someone in a relationship with the type one who could benefit from the insights that Austin and Melinda shared. Finally, please consider leaving a review explaining what was most helpful to learn about the type one. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you next time.